0: It's me, AvaCat, and today we're going to be reading The Adventurer's Guide to Successful Escapes. Getting your hand cut off is less fun than you might think it is. A quote from some guy who got his hand cut off and discovered it was less fun than he thought it would be. Chapter 5, Flight from St. Lupin's. As the Iron Knight reached for Anne, she instinctively held up her arms to protect herself, prepared for the worst. Several seconds passed. Nothing happened. The Iron Knight stood before her, its hand outstretched, quivering slightly, but otherwise frozen in place. Anne gripped the edge of the shelf and pulled herself to her feet. As soon as she lowered the gauntlet, the Iron Knight lurched forward and clutched at the empty space on the floor where she had been sitting. The Iron Knight regained its balance and grabbed for her a second time. Again, Anne raised her arms. Again, the Iron Knight stopped. Anne lowered the gauntlet. The Iron Knight began to move. She raised the gauntlet. The Iron Knight rose. Well, what are you waiting for? Barked the Matron. Anne ran behind the desk. As she expected, the Iron Knight surged forward, grasping at the spot where she had just been standing. Undeterred, the Iron Knight tromped around the desk after her. Anne clambered up onto the sill of an open window and braced herself against the frame. The lawn lay ten feet below. She held the gauntlet out toward the advancing knight, forcing it to stop. Wait! said the matron, rushing around the other side of the desk. You could damage the medallion! Stay back, then! said Anne, leaning farther out. The matron halted. Come down from there. We'll figure something out. Figure what out? You ordered that iron knight to cut off my hand. An overreaction. We can search for a way to remove it safely, but your life is in peril. That gauntlet is dangerous, especially when combined with that medallion. Why should I believe anything you say? Asked Anne. The matron held up her right hand, and one finger at a time, removed her glove. Anne held her ble- breath. She had never seen the matron without her glove on. With a final tug, the matron whisked it off. Underneath was a hand unlike any Anne had ever seen. It appeared to be made of, out of some sort of gray material and contains lots of tiny moving parts. It wasn't a gauntlet, but it definitely wasn't flesh and blood either. Anne couldn't begin to guess how it worked, or even how it was attached to the matron's arm. Was it magic too, like the book? This is nothing you are prepared to deal with, said the matron. Now step down, and I promise no harm will come to you. Anne shook her head. I don't trust you. The matron glared at her. Very well, back to the hard way then. She raised her metal hand toward the Iron Knight, who slowly began to move forward, even though Anne's gauntlet was still raised. Whatever power the gauntlet had over the Iron Knight, the matron's metal hand had more. As the Iron Knight reached her, Anne summoned her courage and leapt. For a heart stopping moment, it felt like she might fall forever. Then she landed and tumbled down the short slope. She jumped to her feet and glanced back up at the oak. window expecting to see the matron standing there shaking her fist but the window was empty Anne wasted no time and immediately set off running alongside the building toward the main courtyard at the corner she crashed headlong into Penelope and nearly jumped out of her own skin what are you still doing here said Anne picking herself up off the ground I was busy avoiding an iron night said Penelope What took you so long? Anne held up the gauntlet and showed Penelope the medallion. Penelope gasped. You stole from the matron? No, said Anne. The medallion attached itself to the gauntlet on its own, painfully, and now it won't come off. Anne checked the central yard for any signs of activity, but the coast was clear all the way to the main entrance with its looming clock tower. Anne could see the drawbridge just beyond their best chance of escape. Ready? asked Anne. Ready, said Penelope. Go! They dashed across the courtyard. They were only steps from the archway when the gears of the drawbridge began to grind. Anne's eyes shot up to the top of the tower and her stomach flip-flopped. An iron knight stood silhouetted against the clock, winding the winch that raised the bridge. Their feet hit the planks of the rising deck. They redoubled their efforts pounding their way up the ever steeper slope. The giant gears groaned, and when they reached the end, Anne planted a firm foot and leapt for the opposite side, Penelope be right beside her. In the terrifying moment they, that they hung in the air, Anne realized their mistake. The drawbridge had risen too high. If they landed on the stone ramp from this height, they might break their legs, or worse. Anne willed herself to drop straight down like a rock instead. As she fell, however, she saw that Penelope had propelled herself closer to the other side, but not quite far enough. With a sickening thunk, Penelope's head hit the edge of the ramp with it, and she fell into the moat. A split second later, Anne smacked into the icy water, the impact momentarily knocking the wind out of her. She struggled to the surface, gasping and gagging. Near... Nearby, Penelope floated face up, thankfully, and Anne grabbed her friend's coat. The moat was only 50 feet wide, and they had landed halfway across. Anne held onto her unconscious companion as best she could, using the gauntlet, and started paddling for shore with with her other hand. Anne was making achingly slow progress when something brushed against her thigh. She kicked out but didn't make contact. She knew what it must be, but she pushed the thought from her mind and paddled more frantically. Less than ten feet from shore, she spotted it out of the corner of her eye, a large rotting fin circling back toward them. Anne stroked harder, but her arms were tired and her breath was coming in short, sputtering gasps. She maneuvered herself between Penelope and the oncoming shark, which disappeared beneath them. Anne felt a tug, but no bite. It had Penelope. Her friend jerked again and was pulled under the water. Anne held on and went with her. She struggled to pull Penelope back up, but the shark was too powerful. It dragged them down into the reeds at the bottom. With her lungs bursting and the cold quickly leaching away her strength, Anne pulled out her pocket knife, opened the blade using her teeth, and then swam past Penelope and stabbed desperately at the st- shark. Contact. The shark released Penelope, swimming away erratically. The knife lodged in its eye. Anne grabbed Penelope's coat with both hands and kicked furiously. Despite desperate for air, they surfaced at the edge of the moat. Penelope started to come around. and Anne helped her as they crawled onto the bank. Penelope coughed out a lungful of sore moat water. Anne checked her her over for signs of injury. Luckily, other than a lump on her forehead from where it made contact with the ramp, she was fine. Pattern of tears in her coat showed the shark had only gotten hold of her clothing. Anne flopped her onto her back, exhausted. Let's call that one plan really bad idea," mumbled Penelope. The drawbridge gears started grinding again. Their pursuers were lowering the bridge. Come on," said Anne. Penelope had trouble rising on her own, so Anne put a steadying arm around her and helped her up, which was no small task given how much larger Penelope was than Anne. They started down the path leading to the dock, but paused when they noticed the swinging lantern of an airship in the sky, slowly sailing away from the St. Lupin's tier. They were too late. Anne's heart sank. She dug the soggy book out of her coat pocket and looked down at the cover. The title had changed again. It now read, The Adventurer's Guide to Running Far, Far Away. Wondering what that could possibly mean, she turned to the first page. The second ticket had disappeared, and in its place was a single word. Hide. Anne steered Penelope into the trees, in the same direction she'd gone that morning. She figured they could take cover in the forest or in the entrance of Shaft 11, and plan their next steps from there. Jutting roots and fallen branches threatened to send them sprawling. But Anne kept up the pace steady and continued to support Penelope as best she could. After several frightening minutes of stumbling through the darkness, they broke into a clearing. The same clearing where Anne had fallen off the tier onto the ledge earlier. She cursed their luck. They must have passed the mine in the dark. Look at the pretty light, said Penelope, sounding dazed. She pointed. Anne scanned the night sky, where one twinkling star caught her attention. It was growing bigger and bigger, which was unusual behavior for a star. Then again, it had been that sort of day. In fact, the star seemed to be traveling right at them, and it was accompanied by an increasingly loud whooshing sound, giving the distinct impression that it was in fact another ball of fire. Which is technically what a falling star is, except where one holds the promise of wonder and fulfillment of wishes, The other promises instant crispification. Just before impact, Anne hauled Penelope behind a tree. The fireball exploded in the middle of the clearing and sent a cloud of smoke and dust rolling past them. Anne snatched a knobby knife off the ground and held it in her... ...uh, gauntlet hand. Any weapon was better protection than none. She risked a peek. A woman stepped forth from the thick smoke, spotted Anne, and walked over. Anne blinked, disbelieving she was really seeing what she thought she was seeing. "'Wherever have you been, my dear?' said Jocelyn, sounding somewhat annoyed. "'This delay has put everything behind schedule.' She flipped open a small notebook. "'We've missed the opening ceremonies, the getting-to-know-you luncheon, the academy tour, everything!' Anne needed two or three tries before she was able to speak actual words. You're... you're alive? Jocelyn frowned. That's a rather odd thing to say. Anne shook her head. But... but this morning, that dragon torched you with, its fu- with a fireball. Jocelyn laughed. Well, of course she did. I believe you've been referring to her as, as dog, yes? Nana, come out now. Don't be shy. Come and say hello. Anne looked around. You found dog? A black form emerged from the smoke, a large black something that was all too familiar. Dragon! yelled Anne, throwing her stick with all her might. It soared through the air in a perfect arc and struck the dragon's thick scales and bounced harmlessly away over the edge of the teeth. The dragon lowered its head until its large reptilian eyes stared directly into Anne's. You're new at this, it rumbled in a deep, gravelly voice, so I'm going to overlook that. Wow, said Penelope. Dog got real big. Anne shook her head vigorously. You can't be dog. That's impossible. Nana is a phantom dragon, Jocelyn explained. They can change their size and appearance. She only disguised herself as your fire lizard so she can assess the situation prior to my arrival. You you were spying on us? Assessing, dear. Nana is the Academy's dragon. She's here to help. Anne stepped back, not taking her eyes off the dragon. But she attacked me with a fireball! And you'd be a lot easier to hit if you stood still, grumbled Nana. It's hard to mount a rescue when you run away like that. That was a rescue? Naturally, you want to leave the orphanage, don't you? But you nearly incinerated me! Nonsense, said Nana. At most, you would have gotten a little singed around the edges, or maybe a nice tan. Actually, fireballs are a common form of transportation, said Jocelyn. Green ones, that is, not the red. What's wrong with red fireballs? asked Anne. Red means dead, said Nana. It's the best way to reach those more outlying areas without it taking forever, said Jocelyn. St. Lupin's is not exactly on the central tiers, you know. Still, personally, I only use them when absolutely necessary. It takes me days to clean the sulfur smell out of my clothes. No offense, she added to Nana. None taken, growled Nana. I make them smell that way on purpose. Consider it payback for forcing me to wear that dog collar. Speaking of which, if you're not dog, then where is he? asked Anne. You you didn't eat him, did you? Nana grinned. Maybe I did. Goodness knows, I get paid little enough for everything I do around here. A tasty fire lizard steak would really hit the spot. Anne gasped. Now stop that, Jocelyn scolded Nana. I assure you, Anne, your fire lizard is perfectly safe back at the academy. We'll return him as soon as possible. A distant crashing echoed fr- through the forest, accompanied by the sound of approaching footsteps. Very heavy footsteps. Were you expecting company? asked Jocelyn. Anne gripped Penelope's arms. It must be the matron and her Iron Knights We're uh, sort of in the middle of escaping. Understood, said Jocelyn. She turned to Nana. Three fireballs, if you please. Wait a minute, said Anne. By fireballs, do you mean... But it was too late. Nana reared back, opened her mouth wide, and belched flame. Okay, guys, that is it for this episode of The Adventurer's Guide for Successful Escapes. I hope that you join us tomorrow for another episode. Okay, bye!